I think I'm... Well, I think I'm the one who's blessed, Tom. I appreciate the invitation. It's, I, I was honored when you asked, and I'm honored to be here. As the, I mean, it's just a profound privilege to me, and I appreciate it. I really do. And uh, my wife and I, we try to get down here regularly through the summer. In the winter, we don't count on the weather so much. Living in South Dakota, kind of the great white north coming down here. But um, but it's good to be with you all, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. And I should say that I, if you're not familiar with Calvary Chapel, that that uh, the, the normal thing, the more normal status or, or operations for, for Calvary Chapel is the, one of the hallmarks, the... Um, distinctive characteristics is to teach through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but we're not doing that today. Since I only, I'm only with you this day, we're not going to go, uh, this says the Torah, don't worry about that. We're not going to get through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're, we're not doing that this morning. Uh, I'm a slow reader anyway, and then my Hebrew reading is even slower. <laughs> so um, anyway, we're, 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 what we're going to look at, though, is a leader under construction. We can look at a lot of people to learn about God's working in their lives, but we're just going to take Joshua today. And uh, as you may know, Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. And uh, it means Yahweh or the Lord is saves or the Lord, the Lord is salvation. That's what Yehoshua is. Uh, did you ever wonder how we got from Joshua to Jesus? Maybe I'm the only one that wonders about stuff like that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. But anyway, here we have a uh, little chart that kind of illustrates that. It's a time, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a journey through time and languages, world events that uh, bring us to this. This is Yehoshua, that's Joshua. Uh, we often take the Y or the I on a front and turn it into a J. We do that with Jacob. He wasn't called Jacob, he was Yaakov. We do that with Joseph. He wasn't called Joseph. He was called Yosef. Uh, and same way with uh, Joshua. It's, his name is Yehoshua. Uh, then if we fast forward through time a little bit, we come to the point where Judah was taken captive to Babylon. And Hebrew and actually the Jewish people kind of went through a change there. Their calendar changed. And uh, things changed. They're, they're kind of blended with Aramaic a little bit more. And so by the time Jesus came and lived among us, the name had been shortened to Yeshua. Yeshua. Um, and to this day, oh, and over here, the, the capital letters, that's the accent of syllable. To this day, that is what they call Jesus in Israel. If you're talking to a Jewish person, they're going to call him Yeshua. <clears throat> I've had a couple of opportunities to talk to people from Israel. Now, if you're talking to an American Jewish person, that's that's a little bit different. But if you're from Israel, you have a they have a different perspective on the world. And and uh, I had a talk, opportunity to talk to a young man. He got he's from Israel. He got married in Minnesota. They were traveling through Sioux Falls, South Dakota, on their way to the West Coast on their honeymoon. And uh, I, we were at a Jewish event with some friends there in Sioux Falls. And when we meet with our Jewish friends, I usually wear a covering, the, the kippur. And so he just naturally assumed that I was Jewish. And he asked me a question about my Jewishness. I don't remember what the question was, but that's really not important anyway. But I, I said, well, I need to let you know I'm not Jewish. I said, I'm an evangelical Christian. And, in, in, and that's a term that is 
loosely applied to a lot of things now. It's not as specific as it used to be some years ago. Uh, but if you're in Israel, they know, they have been taught, told that the evangelical Christian is their best friend in the whole world. And so when I told him that, I said, actually, I need to let you know I'm an evangelical Christian. He said, I have been wanting to meet one of you. He said, <laughs> he said I have some questions. And I've been wanting to meet one of you. He said, why do you love us? See, I didn't have to tell him that we love him. He knew that. They're told that. They're taught that. He says, why do you love us? I said, well, I am a believer, a follower of Yeshua HaMashiach. The Ha is the, Mashiach is Messiah. So Yeshua HaMashiach said, I'm a follower, a believer in him. I don't use this. Uh, and actually, you say, well, I'm one of his Talmudim. Talmudim would be a disciple. Uh, which is very closely related to the word for learning. In both Hebrew and Greek, the uh, word for um, disciple and the word for learner are unmistakably related. Uh, and, but in English, we don't pick up on that so much. But if you say, I'm one of, the, one of his Talmudim, one of his Talmudim, I, I, I'm a, that means I'm basically saying he's my rabbi. I'm learning from him. It's my goal to be like my rabbi. That's kind of what that tells them. And so, so I explained this to him. I said, and Yeshua is Jewish, and he loves the Jewish people, and he puts his spirit in us, and we love the Jewish people too. And so I just got to talk to him a little bit about that. But to this day, if you get a chance to talk to somebody from Israel, uh, that would be the name to use, Yeshua HaMashiach, because to them, the, the name Jesus can have negative connotations. The name, to, or to say Christ, could even be, uh, have, because of history and the way churches treated Jews through, through history, that's that's probably not the best approach to say, I'm a follower, a believer, one of the Talmudim of Yeshua HaMashiach, and you'll get a little farther with him. But anyway, that's, uh, that's what he was called when he walked the earth, and that's what he's called today uh, in Israel. Now, a little farther in history, we have um, Alexander the Great conquered the known world, and he spread Greek throughout the known world, and so the name Yeshua was changed, translated into Iesus. Uh, the SH sound dropped out. We got an SH here. We got an SH here. The, there is no SH sound in, in Greek. That's why the name, like our, our, our tour guide in, when we were in Israel, uh, his name was Shimon, but it comes to us through Greek as Simon because there's no SH, and so that's, uh, that happened. Uh, the S on the end, that came from um, conformity to Greek noun grammar. And so he was called Jesus. Now, it's interesting, too, and I forgot to mention this in the first service, that um, if you are reading the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament called the Septuagint, it was translated between 300 and 100 B.C., and you are flipping through uh, the Old Testament, you come to the book of Joshua, it's the book of Jesus. That's actually what it is. And also, in, uh, if you're reading like an old uh, King James Version, uh, there's a couple places in the New Testament where it's talking about Joshua, but it's translated Jesus it's because the names are identical. I mean, it's like if you're looking at Joshua in the Old Testament in Greek, it's Jesus. If you're looking at Joshua in the New Testament, it's still Jesus. And so uh, that's uh, that was the next step. All right. Then the next thing that happened through history is the Roman Empire that came in and defeated the Greeks and the uh, over time, the empire split. The Eastern Empire pretty well stuck with Greek, but the Western Empire went with Latin. And so Jesus' name was moved to, we went from Ye Yehoshua to Yeshua to Jesus in Greek, 
And then in Latin, it's still Jesus. We still have an I over here, Jesus. But that's beginning to look a little bit more familiar to us. And then, as I said, in English, we oftentimes will take the J and put it in place of uh, a Y or I sound. So that's how we got from Joshua to Jesus. That's just in case you were wondering. Now, if that puts you to sleep, that's okay. These are comfortable chairs. Now I'm ready to really kind of start talking about the lesson, okay? This was just, this was just biblical language candy to me. It's candy to me. I don't, uh, so thank you for letting me indulge myself and sharing that uh, with you because I, I like that sort of thing. You know, and another thing that makes sense on this is whenever you have, like in Matthew chapter 1, I think it's about verse 21 or so, and and the angel comes to Joseph to say, go ahead and marry Mary. He's thinking about putting her away because he's an honorable man, and I think he believed that this was the Holy Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit. But he, uh, the angel came to him, and of course he would have been spoken this Hebrew Aramaic language, and he said uh, that that which is born in her will be of the Holy Spirit, or is of the Holy Spirit, and you will call his name Yeshua because he well, Yoshia, his people from their sins. The name Yeshua means he will save. What's his name? He will save. <laughs> you know, in English, we miss that. You go, you'll call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from his sins. You go, why, does the, why do those things? This is because of this. Why is that? And, and it, when you go back to the original languages, it makes sense. There's a lot of interesting things in original languages. I haven't got time to begin to enumerate some of them. Uh, Maybe if Tom gives me another chance someday, we'll talk about some of them. Um, but it's, I, it's fun. It's fun for me. So, why do we want to look? When I said Joshua earlier, what was the first thing that came to your mind? The wall. The wall of Jericho. Battle of Jericho. That's probably, if this was family feud, and then we're looking for the, you know, the audience answers, that would have been the number one audience answer, I think. Or maybe you thought about the time that he was encouraging them, and he says, now choose this day whom you're going to serve. Whether you want to serve all these other gods, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I mean, there's a couple of big things about Joshua. You know, they both come from the book of Joshua. We're not going to look at Joshua because we want to look at how God brought him to the place of leadership. So we're actually going to be looking at the Torah, where Joshua is talked about, specifically in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, Genesis was before Joshua's time. He's not a Levite, so he's not in Leviticus. Uh, he's from the tribe of Ephraim, and then um, Deuteronomy. He's mentioned in those in those three books. And so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, why should we study what the Torah tells us about Joshua? I think that's a fair question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Joshua was raised up to lead God's people. Uh, to conquer the land after the death of Moses and to divide the land among the tribes. Uh, How did Joshua get chosen? Was it because he won some cosmic lottery? Or you might be saying, I've read the story about the wilderness wilderness wanderings and uh, he probably lost the (laughs) lottery. You might be tempted to think that. Uh, And no, it didn't have anything to do with that. God was building into a man uh, to be a leader. And that's what we want to look at is how and why. Because God's going to take us and use us to lead slaves into some other land and give them. No, not for that. But God is looking for leaders. You know, well, I'm not a leader. Well, are you a father? Are you a husband? Guess what? You're a leader. And you are charged with the responsibility of the spiritual headship of your home to teach your kids to fear the Lord. That is a God-given responsibility. And you are a leader. 
What if you're a mother? Uh, guess what? You'll be raising children and everything. You're still a leader. What if, you're not, what if your children are all raised? Well, and this isn't my fault. God said this. I'm just the messenger. Uh, you guys know where the line is. I don't know where the line is. But he said the older women, whoever they are, <laughs> that the older women are supposed to teach the younger women how to love their children, love their husbands, and keep the home. And so, yes, you're still a leader. Um, what if you're not any of those categories? What if you're not um, not married or not um, don't have kids or, or maybe you're a student in school or maybe you just work at a job or something like that? It doesn't matter. God is looking for leaders. And in God's economy of things, leadership also means serving, okay? But what my kids used to hear all the time when they were growing up, I said, you need to be a leader for what is good and not a follower for what is evil or follower for what is bad. Lead for good. Don't follow for evil. And so God would use all of us as leaders. As far as slaves, there's a lot of people out there, and maybe some in here, who are slaves to sin, and we have the privilege of leading them out of that slavery and into this new kingdom, uh, not the kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of light. And so... uh, God is looking to equip all of us. And we all need to look at what happened to Joshua because all of these things. You know, when you get saved, they say, you want to grow in your faith, uh, read the Bible, spend time in prayer, uh, fellowship with other believers, share your faith. Well, what if you've been saved for a long, long time, 50-some years? What do you do? How, do you? how do you continue on? Well, you read your Bible, you spend time in prayer, you fellowship with other believers, you share your faith. It doesn't change. The same thing leads to growth. And we see some things in Joshua's life that's, that lead to spiritual growth, and that's why we're looking at him. And so uh, we're going to first turn to Exodus chapter 17. That's the first place we see Joshua. So if you want to start turning there, We'll um, actually begin taking a look at what God was doing in Joshua's life. Uh, But first, we'll pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Your word is good. It's good food. It's sweet to our taste. We're thankful for the way you've revealed yourself because we want to know you. We want to know you better. We want to love you. We want to walk in your ways, and you have shown it to us. You've said, I don't want you to be ignorant. And we see this over and again in the scriptures. You don't want us to be ignorant. And we don't want to be ignorant. So we ask that you would... Um, use this time, use your word. We ask that your word to be empowered by your Holy Spirit and that you would continue your work in us to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the goal. And we want this, that he would be honored. And so we ask it in his name. Amen. Okay. First time we see Joshua is in Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some men, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand that let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put him under it, or put it under him, (laughs) put him under it. I'm sorry. I said I was a slow reader. I'm slow in a lot of ways, but anyway. They took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it. 
And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now Moses recounts a lot of the things that happens to them in the book of Deuteronomy. He's talking to a whole new generation. And so he covers this a little bit again in Deuteronomy 25, and he gives us some additional information we don't have here. That is that Amalek, the big Amalek warriors, came down and attacked the hinder parts, the tail of Israel, the stragglers, the ones who were weary, the ones who were tired. Maybe it was the old. Maybe it was some of the crippled. Maybe it was little kids. I mean, this is this is like, if you had any good feelings about Amalek, this should just go away right now because what they did was not good. It's like when you're watching these TV shows, you know, and little little baby wildebeest comes down to get some water and a big old crocodile's in there. You know, and you know how that goes. It always, it always turns out the same way. Uh, and that's what happened with Amalek. They, they came and attacked the weak, the tired of Israel. And so Moses says to Joshua, get an army and go out and fight them. And so the first thing we see about Joshua is that he is uh, a military leader and um, military strategist, <clears throat> excuse me, as it were. And he was willing to take his stand for God's people. He was willing to fight for God's people. So what can we learn from this? We too need to take our stand for God's people. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be upholding one another. That's, that's one way. Uh, two, we need to not forget the persecuted church. Someday we might be persecuted, but we need to remember our brothers and sisters. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, um, we're told to uh, bear with those who are in prison or in chains as though we were chained with them. And so we should be praying for the persecuted church. And I usually pray for the persecuted church for grace. If I was being persecuted, I would want grace. And I'd want a sense of the Lord's presence. Because in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. If I had a sense of his presence, that would give me the joy. That I would need also relief. I pray for relief. I know. I think I'd want people praying that I'd be relieved of, the, of that. And so, what we uh, would pray for ourselves, I think it's good to pray for them. Okay, what else? Well, I think it's good for us to pray for Israel. We're told in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, one that's maybe not as well known is in Isaiah 62, a very unusual command that we get from God, where we're told to bug God. It says. Do not let him rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Uh, check that one out, Isaiah 62. And so we can pray for God's people being Israel, not just fellow believers, but also Israel. Well, what about um, what about others? I I would imagine everybody here has unsaved relatives, unsaved family unsaved friends, um, who's, who's going to pray for them? Who's going to stand up for them to remember them before God and to ask for him to work through his Holy Spirit in our hearts to save them? I, I go for walks. Um, I walk miles. Uh, I like to usually go at least four, and, and uh, sometimes I go six or seven. And when I'd walk, I pray. And people say, I saw you walking. I don't see them because I'm focused. I'm, I'm praying as I, as I go. And I, pr- I pray for my family. And, and you know, I pray, for, I, pray for, I pray for you all. I pray for this church because we enjoy coming down here and being with you. And um, 
But I had a cousin come to mind, and and I thought, and I know he's not saved, but I haven't had any contact with him in a long time. And I thought, who's praying for him? And I thought about other people. Who's praying for them? Do they have anybody in the whole world that might be praying for them? I will. I'll do that. Just like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And so I took that up, and I thought, I'm going to start praying for some of these people because I don't know if they got anybody else in the whole world praying for them. And so that's another place where we can take our stand against the enemy of God's people, okay, praying for others. And then an obvious one. You, obviously, I'm picking low-hanging fruit here. Over in uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 6, in fact, uh, not Ezekiel, uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. I'll flip over there quickly. A very familiar passage, uh, starting with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, be able to withstand in the day of evil, and having done all, to stand. And then he goes on to describe the spiritual armor. And there's different people have some different views, and some of them are kind of wild on what this all means on spiritual armor. I get up in the morning, and I put on the, the shoes, and I put on the belt, and all this kind of stuff. I'm, okay, that's, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But what does it mean? What does it mean? It means we're supposed to fight against the wiles of the devil. Well, what is that? Did you know that in Romans chapter 6, it says we are no longer slaves to sin, that we no longer have to offer ourselves as as instruments of sin, but we are to offer ourselves, offer our members as instruments of righteousness. We don't have to. When slave was our master, we had to obey. A slave has to do whatever the master says, right? But we don't have to. We don't have to. We get the temptation. It might be a hard temptation. Now, I'll, I'll put a caveat on here. It says when it comes to sexual immorality, flee. You're not supposed to try to stand. I'm, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to endure. I'm going to overcome the sexual immorality temptation or something. No, just get out of there. <laughs> That's what Joseph did. Remember with Potiphar's wife? That's just, you know, if you got to play the Lone Ranger music, you know, the William Tell Overture, whatever, just go. Get out of there. Flee. We were watching a TV show. It was an old TV show. So, I mean, this was like wholesome. It wasn't like I was watching something I ought not. But there was a situation came up where this guy was in this room with this woman. I said, flee. <laughs> and he should have, but he didn't listen. But it, but it was, <laughs> uh, I get that a lot. But uh, in other cases, that, that's one of the exceptions. In other cases, we are supposed to fight. We're not supposed to just, oh, you know, I was just tempted or whatever. We're supposed to take our stand and stand. And so that's another way that we go to battle against the enemy of God against the enemy of God's people. And so these are things that we see and learn um, from Joshua in this passage. And if, if I could go back and just get a little bit more biblical language candy here for you. Um, this account of Moses is kind of interesting because uh, when they were, his arms would get tired, he put them down. Well, they, and so they held his arms up. And it says here that his arms were steady. In English, that doesn't give us the same tie that we see in Hebrew. What does it say in Hebrew? His arms were emunah. His arms were emunah. What is emunah? Emunah is the Hebrew word for faith. 
when you're reading, if you read a Hebrew translation of the Greek New Testament, and you come to Hebrews chapter 11, that's not the faith chapter, that's the emunah chapter. And he said, but emunah, which in faith, uh, Noah built the ark. But emunah, Abraham left to go to another land. But emunah, but emunah, but emunah. The but is in, so, and the emunah, in faith. And the word here, his arms were steady. Think about that. Here's where the candy's going here. There's, there's a purpose to the candy, and that is that faith, we should be steady. We might use the word faithful, um, but that's a facet of faith. It should be steadiness. Uh, and this is consistent with what James tells us. James says if we uh, need wisdom, we should pray for wisdom, and we should believe. And if we don't, if we doubt, that we're double-minded and we're unstable like the waves. Uh, and that makes a lot more sense when you find out that steadiness is a part of, should be a part of our faith. So that's uh, just a little, like I say, a little candy there. Because in English we don't pick up on steady and faith being the same word here. Or faithfulness. Okay, let's move on then to, uh, oh, and when I was praying earlier, I mentioned Romans chapter 8, where it says that God has predestined those of us who are saved to be conformed to the image of his Son. And what is the name of his Son? In Revelation chapter 19, he's coming back, and his name is faithful and true. And that's what we're supposed to be more like. We should be being conformed to that image of being faithful and true. All right, let's move on to uh, the second time we see Joshua, and that's in Exodus chapter 24. Starting with verse 13. Let's go back to verse 12 because that sets the stage for what we're, for the context here. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God. So Joshua was not just the military guy. Joshua was assistant. He was an assistant to Moses. He served Moses. He was a minister to Moses. Um, And I think we can learn from this, too. Um, Let's, let's, let's take this a little farther with this story, though. So Moses is called to the top of the mountain, and Joshua is um, only going part way up the mountain. Um, and Moses is going to get the law from God, and God's going to give him a heavenly vision. He's going to show him the heavenly tabernacle, and he's going to, he says, I want you to make a copy of this. And uh, Joshua was not a part of all that. Uh, but we see um, I'm sorry, I'm missing something here. There's another oh, it's in thirty two that okay, thirty two seventeen. There I know I know I was missing something. Thirty two seventeen, that's what happens when I don't follow my notes greatly. Um, as Moses was up there, they came to a point and God told Moses he needed to get down the mountain. And um uh, because there was a problem down there, and that's because they built the golden calf. Of course, it wasn't Aaron's fault. He said, I just took the gold, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf, and that was his story. Um, And the people were uh, falling into sin. 
So Moses comes down, and he comes down to the point where Joshua was. And in verse 17, Joshua heard the noise of the people as they were uh, as they shouted. Uh, he said to Moses, "There is a noise of war in the camp." But he said, Moses said, "It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear." And so. Um, they came down the mountain. They saw the situation there. But what I see with this, Joshua had a special relationship with Moses. He, had atta- he was attached to somebody who was a spiritual leader. Uh, and I kind of see the picture of Paul and Timothy here. It's, it's good to be a Timothy. The, the dear old pastor who really helped me get into the Word and where I really became hungry for the Word and I began was when I started reading through the Bible year after year. And it, this pastor, Pastor Rice, he said, you're one of my Timothys, and I, what an honor to be one of his Timothys, you know. Uh, we should have a Paul, somebody in our, who, who can build into our life, somebody spiritually mature that we can learn from, learn how to, how do we serve God? How do we walk in the ways of God? How do we, how do we move forward in this walk in Christ uh, to be, become more like Christ? We need a, a Paul. We should also have a Timothy, a younger Christian that we can use. Sometimes Timothy's come to my life. There's a couple of young men who I wasn't looking for them. They came up to me and started talking to me, and, I, and this Timothy relationship developed. And they come to me with questions, and, and uh, we, we need to have uh, be building into somebody else's life as well. Uh, this sounds like promise keepers, doesn't it? Because <laughs> you should also have a Barnabas, somebody, the son of encouragement, who comes alongside and helps you as well. Um, but anyway, it's important. In this building of a leader, we saw he's willing to take his stand to fight for God's people. And we see that he is a, a minister or a servant uh, to Moses, that he's in this Timothy relationship to Moses, uh, being taught to, to, to be discipled, to, be, to know how to draw near to God, how to live for God. Um, you might say, well, I, I don't really know how I could serve. I am sure there's ways to serve. I'm sure if you talk to to Pastor Tom or some of the elders, you come up. You said, "Well, I can't. I really can't go out and talk to people on at downtown. Uh, I, I can't. I can't do that." Well, can you serve? Can you just say, "I bet if you went to Ron and said, just give me something to do. You want me to carry bottles of water? Do you want me to carry some pop? You want me to carry? Can I just serve? You know, and just serve. This 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 uh, this looks nice. This this facility looks nice. And I'll bet you somebody probably vacuumed it and did some cleaning. I don't know who's doing it. Whoever's doing it is serving the entire congregation." Uh, can you serve them? You might say, well, I can't clean the whole church. Well, yeah, but could you do something? Could you? I mean, there's all kinds of ways to serve. There's all kinds of things to do to serve, and we need to be serving as well. The third time we see Joshua is in Exodus 33, starting with verse 7. This is cool. This is way cool. Chapter 33, verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that a pillar, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses 
All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. We see that he was a servant of Moses, and he was a young man, and he never left. I think this is really, really awesome. The, the, Moses, this isn't the tabernacle, tabernacle. This is the tent of meeting, he called it. It was just a tent. But the tabernacle was probably being constructed during this time. And so he'd set up this tent out there, and the people would see him go. And then the symbol of God's presence and power with Israel, the, the, the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night would come over and right down to that tent where Moses was. They saw Moses go in. They saw God came. And they talked face to face. And there was a witness. Joshua was there and got to watch this intimate relationship between God and Moses. And God's talking to him freely. And Moses is talking to him freely. And what did they talk about? I wish I knew. <laughs> I'd like to have my tape recorder and just, and they had it switched on. But, but you know, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When did he write it? Well, did God, we know this is inspired by God. We know this is the word of God. Was, was God recounting how he created the world? Was he recounting Noah? Was he recalling the count of a, the calling of Abraham? Was he recounting the lives of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all this? Was I kind of think that, you know, Joshua was quite literally exposed to the Word of God there, uh, and and he he got to witness this intimacy, uh, and he didn't ever have to leave that tent. He got to stay in that place. Uh, that's that is just amazing to me. So what do we get out of this? What can we learn from this? That as God spoke to Moses face to face, um, he got to hear God's word. We need intimacy with God. We need to be spending time before God's face. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more, um, unpack that a little bit more. We need to uh, have that intimate time with him. We need to listen to him through his word and... Um, In Hebrew, when, it, when, it, when you're before somebody, there's a couple of words that could be used, but most, I mean, the lion's share of them, it actually is literally to his face, to his face. He says, none of your enemies will be able to stand before you. It's no, none of your enemies will stand to your face. It's to your face, to your face. And Moses and, and God were speaking face to face. Joshua was a part of that. But we need to be spending that face-to-face -face time with God and be listening to him through his word. Uh, I tell you what, I'm a real proponent. I'm glad to hear about this daily walk thing. And I'm a real proponent for reading through the Bible every year. You say, well, I'm a little bit behind. I'm, I'm just, I'm five weeks behind. That's okay. You can finish in February. It's okay. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. That's how we get to know him. Um, this, and that's so important. As we get to know him better, we will love him more. And our goal if, if, if your goal is to read the Bible just to get information, you've, you're starting off on the wrong foot. Why do we study the Bible? Why even, why even study the biblical languages? 
to know him better, to love him more, to walk in his ways. That's what it's all about. Um, and we need that face-to-face time with him. We, we need to understand that we are to his face. We are before his face. When we're lead, reading our Bible, we need to read it knowing I am before the face of God. Right now I'm reading his, his word. This is his word. He's got something he wants to say to me, and I want to hear it. When we're praying, we need to realize he's not somewhere far off. We're, we're before his face. And even if you're not doing that, if you're just going to work, you're going to school, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're living your whole day before his face. Well, now when the temptation comes along, now what? This temptation is also before his face, and your reaction is also, how you deal with that is also before his face. Uh, you know, one thing that's also helped me, and this is, I'm, I'm getting off again a little bit here, but Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. If we take on the spiritual armor that we talked about early, and we resist sin and we don't sin, guess what? That's something Jesus didn't have to die for. Jesus didn't have to suffer for that part. All of the suffering he had, well, he didn't have to suffer for that because you didn't fall. You stood as you're supposed to. And so, but if I fall to sin, now Jesus had to suffer for that. And so that's one of the things that actually goes through my head when I'm thinking about temptation or falling, you know, into sin somehow or another. I go, I don't want to add to what he had to suffer. It's kind of a, I don't know, are you tracking with me? You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to add to his suffering by sinning. Um, But anyway, that's uh, the goal. The goal, we're supposed to keep our eyes on Christ. The goal, God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. That is what is ahead of us. We can look back and say, I am not the person I used to be. How do we get here? How do we get to on this road going this way to becoming more like Christ? It is going to be largely through the work of the Holy Spirit using his word in your life. If you're not in the word, you're, you're, the people I really see when I've discipled people, the ones that really grow, they've gotten into the Bible. They, their, their hunger, their, their, their appetite has been wet for the word. And wet, that's, that's an old word, isn't it? Well, it's been... <laughs> uh, their appetite is for the Word of God, and they, they really grow. And if you don't get into the Word, it's just hard to, to get going. But So we need that time with God and with His Word. Um, but you say, well, I just don't have enough faith. How, you know, and the disciples said, increase our faith. Well, where does faith come from? You guys know this. Where does faith come from? Hearing the Word. Hearing, hearing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of God, right? I see you nodding your heads. I know you know. I know you know. And so that's how we get our faith increased. All right, the fourth time we see Joshua is in... I'm going to tell you something else too (laughs) before I leave that last topic. In Psalm 19, Psalm 19 talks about that the heavens speak and declare the glory of God. and, and, And when it talks about God, it uses the most elemental word for God in Hebrew, El, E-L, El. Um, can you can you be close to God when you get out in nature? Yeah, when somebody says, "Well, I'm you know feel closer to God on the golf course." Well, maybe they do, you know. Um, but when you see God's divine name used, usually translated the Lord, and Lord will be in all capital letters. That that's the signification of the divine name in the Hebrew text. 
when you get down to Psalm 19, about verse 7, 8, 9, 10, it's the law of the Lord is perfect. Now, it shifts from that elemental term for God, the most basic term for God, ale. Now it's referring to his personal name. And, and what is that an association to? It's an association to his word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is right. And, and all these different words are used to refer to God's word. That's how we get to know him. And that's what I want for all of God's people. <laughs> so you've probably heard me say it three or four times. I'll probably say it three or four more times. To know him better, to love him more, to walk in his ways. This, this road I take through the Bible, I delight as I see God reveal himself to people. They didn't, Hagar didn't have a Bible. Hagar didn't know anything about God. You know, but we see God revealed in creating and stuff. And then Hagar is running away from Sarah. And she goes, oh, he's the living one who sees me. That was an enlightenment thing. That was, a, that was an understanding about God that wasn't known. He's the living one who sees me. And then when um, Abraham met Melchizedek, Melchizedek refers to him as, refers to God as the most high God. Abraham, the friend of God, learned something about God. And so when he's talking to the king of Sodom, then he, he refers to God and refers to him as the most high God. He used the exact same language they learned from Melchizedek. These were things that people, those people didn't have a Bible to go to to learn these things. But we can see God gradually revealing himself through his word until finally he comes to the New Testament. We have the ultimate revelation of God, which is Jesus Christ himself. In the past, God spoke to the to our fathers, to the prophets, and through visions or whatever. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, who is appointed heir of all things. And that's a whole nother. And, he, and, he, <laughs> and it says that he is the, the stamped imprint image of God. If you take the, the picture in the Greek text there, is if you, like a king had a signet ring, and he said something, and he would put that in a decree, and then he'd stamp the, they'd put a blob of wax on there, and he'd stamp it, and remove the ring, and it would, the, the, the wax would bear the exact image of that ring. If you take God and stamp him into the clay of human flesh, and you look at it, it looks just like Jesus. It looks just like Jesus. That's, you want to know what God's like? Look at what Jesus is like. He said, Philip, Philip says, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. He said, Philip, I've been with you this long. Don't you know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. The teachings I speak are not my teachings. They're what the Father does. The works I do are not my works. They're what the Father does. And he said, well, that he rose from the dead. All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Go and make disciples. All authority. But what do we see Jesus doing? He meets him by the Sea of Galilee. And he serves them breakfast. He's the resurrected Lord and he's serving them breakfast. He didn't quit being who he was. He didn't change who he was. He's still representing God to us and he serves. He still serves. And that's why we're supposed to serve. And boy, I have so far from my notes. I don't even know where I am. But <laughs> going through the word of God is great. If I could just encourage you on anything. Going through the word of God and getting to know him. And the better, the better you know him, the more you'll love him. Because, you know, Jesus said, I'm still waiting. This is none of those. Um, the woman who came in and cried and, and cleaned the feet of Jesus. As he, was, he was in the house of the Pharisee. And she washed his feet with her tears. And he told Simon the Pharisee, said, um, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. You know, the better you get to know God, the better you get to know Jesus, the more you see the filth of your own sin. And you could be, I was raised in church, you could say, you know, I never swore and I, I never drank and I never used tobacco and I didn't do anything else that my rebellious generation was doing. Did I still sin? Yes, I did. 
And you say, well, he has kind of a Timothy lifestyle here. He was, you know, he wasn't all that bad. I didn't have to be. But the more I get to know God, the more I see, you know, if, if my righteousness was this big, and maybe Hitler's was only this big, but if God's is that big, I have more in common with Hitler than I do with a, with a holy God. And we realize any sin, we have been forgiven much. Therefore, we should love much. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the lesson. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to have to speed through some of this because I've taken so much time on the other. But uh, to love Him, to know Him, to love Him, and walk in His way—that's that's so important. And it's Tom's fault. He said, "He said, teach whatever your heart burns on." And, and, so, and here, there, you got it. You got it. <laughs> that's where my heart burns: knowing Him, loving Him. The fourth time we see Joshua is in the book of Numbers, chapter 11. Um, just, I'm just going to hit on this lightly. Um, it was the place where, where God took of his spirit on Moses and put, him, put, that spirit, put his spirit on 70 elders. And uh, they were uh, prophesying and this concerned Joshua. And he came to Moses and asked him to make him stop. And Moses said, I would, that God's spirit would be on all of those people. And um, what we see in here is that Joshua was loyal. And we need to be loyal to one another. We need to be loyal to our leadership. We need to be loyal to one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, some people have this idea that once you get saved, you've kind of reached the starting line or reached the finish line. You know, that's, that's the goal. We want to get you to the fin- to the, uh, we want, need to get you saved. Getting saved is not the finish line. Getting saved you could be running really hard and fast, but you're not even on the course till you get saved. Now that you're saved, you're actually on the course, but you're at the starting line. And then, of course, the goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And, to, uh, and we have this whole life of sanctification ahead of us. Um, God has way more for us than just simply getting saved. Uh, the fifth time we see Joshua, he's referred to by a variant name, Hoshea. Hoshea. And that's in... Um, Numbers 26, we'll just, again, I'll just briefly cover this. This is when they spent, sent spies into the land. Um, Joshua was one of the spies. And um, he was, only he and Caleb brought back good reports. Ten of them said, oh, there's giants in there. We can't take this land. We're, we're doomed. And Joshua and Caleb came back. The land is good. It's exactly what Moses said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, there's giants there, but we, that's not a problem for the Lord. We can take the land. We need to go up and go in and take the land. And they did not go into the land. But Joshua was a man who was willing to take his stand for the truth, even if it wasn't popular, even if it wasn't part of the uh, majority, if it wasn't the majority view, he was willing to take his stand for the truth. And as our nation continues to get darker and darker, uh, we will not fall in people's favor if we stand for the truth. If you get out there and say, you know, something about homosexual marriage, and it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court said, God's already defined what marriage is, and Jesus did too. When they asked Jesus about marriage and divorce, what did Jesus do? Took them right back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, he that made them, which was him, I mean, he made all things. By him, all things were made. Nothing was made that has was not made without him. He, he made all things. So... Um, 
he that made them in the beginning made them male and female. And then he jumps over to chapter 2 and says, a man, shall, a man, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Well, right there you got a father and a mother. And shall cleave to his wife. Okay, now we have a woman, a man and a woman. The two will become one flesh, God's miraculous addition where he can take one plus one and make one out of it. Uh, that's the way it works. And there's nothing like a lifetime of intertwining uh, the way God has designed it to be one, to truly be one. There's nothing like it. And so Jesus said that marriage is, is a man and a woman, and therefore to say something like a homosexual marriage, that's, a, that's what do they call that, an oxymoron. Those two don't belong together. It doesn't work that way. God defined marriage. God invented it. That's, you know, and it's not going to be popular when we say stuff like that, but we need to take a stand for the truth. We need to stand for truth, just as Joshua did, even if it's not um, what the majority think. You know, and another thing that he did, when he did this, he, he and Caleb both, when God sent them Israel back out in the wilderness for another 38 years, they endured that with others. And that's also a picture for us, to endure with others, uh, to be willing to bear with others. Um, it might even be as a result of their own sin, but uh, they were patiently waiting for God to fulfill his promise. You know, something else we can learn from them. Uh, I just need to wrap this up. Uh, we, next time we see Joshua is in Numbers chapter 27. And in this case, he's actually being called to lead the people. Uh, Moses said, appoint a leader. And, and God says, I got somebody in mind. I've been working on him. He has taken a stand against the enemy for God's people. He's been mentored by a leader. He spent face-to-face time with God. He has served. Um, he knows intimacy with God. He's spent time in the Word of God. He's faithful and loyal. He's willing to take a stand for the truth. And according to the last one I'll read is Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 9 through 12. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Um, and so the other, the last characteristic I want to bring out is that he was filled with the Spirit. So these are the types of things that were being built into the life of Joshua to make him the leader. Somebody who who can succeed Moses really? I mean, those are big shoes to fill. But these are the things that built the man who did that, the man who succeeded Moses. God wants to make leaders of us, and we need to let, let these things uh, be a part of our lives. Father. We are thankful for your word. Your word is so good. And I ask that you would bless each one who's uh, spending time in your word, that it would be a time of meeting with you, to be face-to-face with you. Um, I ask that you would work all these things in us. We, we want to be what you want us to be. We want to be doing the things that you want us to do. Um, we ask that you would... Uh, Empower your word by your Holy Spirit in our lives to make the changes you want so you can move us from where we are to where you want us to be. And we ask in Jesus' name.